Mind Body Connection podcast. The Body and Mind. With your host, Dr. Phil Parker. So, welcome. Today, we've got the pleasure of having William Pullen with us, who is the founder of Dynamic Running Therapy, a psychotherapist specializing in treating depression, anxiety problems of self-esteem, confidence, and substance abuse. And we got him on the, on the podcast today because he fits very nicely into our remit of looking at the mind, looking at the body, and looking at the connection between the mind-body. Uh, the conversation may run in all sorts of interesting ways, we'll find out. Um, we had a brief chat before we started rolling, uh, so I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, I'd like to start with a, a, a fairly simple question, which may become com- complicated quite quickly, which is, so the podcast is the mind-body connection. Uh, as I say, looking at the mind and the body and looking at the mind-body connection. Uh, For you, what do you make, how do you describe the mind-body connection? What's it for you? Um, Well, okay, let's go right, dig, dig, dig in deep right away. Well, it seems to me that, you know, philosophically, I think that you, we go back, is it Descartes and the Cartesian split? And I mean, have you, have you explored the philosophy behind it in your studies? Yeah, yeah. And you believe, I mean, uh, for me, the, the, the split is abstract. It's, it's formulated and constructed by our human experience and, and, and a sort of extension of the object-subject divide. Or if you see where I'm going, I, I just don't think that it's really real. And I, in my own work, it's funny, when I first started training uh, as a psychotherapist, they, uh, there were those people who I was aware of my contemporaries who believed in what seemed like radical ideas about how trauma could be trapped in certain kinds of muscles or movements. And I used to think, well, what a load of nonsense, you know. I was very sort of classical. Um, and since then, over time, I've come to believe all of that. And, 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 I, and I just don't see any extension. I just see everything flowing back and forth, feelings into, into body, body into feelings. And as I get older, I notice my own, I think, you know, the range, the range with which you use your body, you know, as we get older, we tend to get a bit stiff, don't we? Uh, uh, you know, and, but it's interesting that not only does the body get stiff, but thinking starts to get a bit rigid as well, doesn't it? Particularly for men, we tend to get into rigid or ideas about what's right and what's wrong and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and all that kind of flexibility of youth and, and, and experimentation and playfulness all goes out the window. So I think there's a link there. I don't think it's any accident. And I think that as you get older, if you loosen up your body, you will find your mind follows with it and your heart follows with it. Excellent, great start. So of course, with the the mind-body connection, it is a slightly trick question to some extent in that we are bringing in this idea that there there are two separate things, the mind and the body and how are they connected. And yeah. as many of our guests say, I don't really think of it in that way. That's that's a kind of that is that Descartes model of this and that, and it, that's not really how it works. And when we kind of got fooled into this version of, of reality, and then you were talking, of course, about this uh, this idea of uh, as we start to lose our physical function, does that have an effect on our, our neurological function or our emotional expressiveness or ability to be flexible within? our lives and uh, many people know my kind of original training was this an osteopath and osteopathy comes from a very radical background where the guy had this you know absolute commitment in in, because he was a a, a minister of god and a mechanic and a doctor that of course uh, god had designed us in 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 uh, his own perfect image and he was the ultimate um 
mechanic. He would have designed a brilliant body. And as long as the body did what it was supposed to do, which is follow its blueprint, and then everything would be pretty good. And anything that got stuck would would naturally have a very, very important uh, effect on, on health and wellness and the inability to recover health. And psychology, he was also really interested in how that affected people's moods, uh, how being becoming stuck, becoming stiff, how that then transformed into how that how we expressed ourselves. Because yeah. you know, and I often think about Stephen Hawkins. You know, one of the brightest minds in the world. But if he hadn't been born at the time when there was an ability for him to communicate through that machine that he had, because he had no longer the use of most of his muscles, his brilliance would in, in no way have been expressed. So the, yeah. you know, just being clever and not being able to move it doesn't show up as as anything because nobody can experience that communication without any movement there's no communication so yeah interesting start so you talked a little bit about being a therapist um and specifically we've got the dynamic running therapy so that's a really because i this you know my early dabbles with uh, psychotherapy there was this whole thing wasn't there about the taboo of you don't never touch anyone, never talk, you know, the body and the mind, that's all. You know, and then there was Kleinian people poking and stretching and getting people on all fours and shouting. Um, so how did you get into, first of all, how did you get into therapy? Yeah, I had to become a therapist because that's an, always an interesting conversation. And then how did you then develop into this somatic therapy that's going on with the running? So I'm 52 now. When I was about 38, 39, I um, had a little bit of a meltdown, I would put it, uh, after a relationship uh, went south. But it was really the culmination of a lifetime of stuff and uh, of, of childhood stuff combined with various bad decision-making, avoidance strategies, etc., that had led to a moment of crisis, a necessary um, moment of crisis that I needed to break through and and um, and check myself and so everything sort of collapsed and I took up therapy uh, and and uh, antidepressants and I knew that I needed to get out I was just at home in this terribly depressed more than depressed state this terrified state and um, so I took up running with a friend and I'd never run before as smoker drinker various other things as well and I just um, we just started doing sort of 50 meters a day and then added it on and we would talk. And he was an American who was actually going through a divorce at the time. And so he had lots to talk about. I had lots to talk about. And what we noticed was that when we would talk while running, jogging, I think is a better way of putting it, um, somehow it would be easier both to talk and to listen. It changed the experience for us. We noticed immediately how there was a difference between when we were walking and then when we would break into a run. Um, the walking would free things up. So there's, I think there are sort of three pieces. There's the stagnant, there's sitting, um, and then they're sitting in the psychotherapeutic office, which is facing off to each other. Then they're sitting side by side in a park. Then there's walking side by side, and then there's running. Anyway, what I noticed was that it seemed to work really well. I decided to train as a therapist. Um, six years later, I completed that. And, uh, and decided to see if I could, and, and throughout my training as a therapist, I always had in mind dynamic running therapy. Could I make a go of it? Where did it fit in the, um, in the annals of, uh, of, of psychotherapy? Um, 
in what way in what way is it research, uh, supported by what schools you know and I studied in integrative psychotherapy so I touched on everything from CBT to existential person-centered psychodynamic so it was it was good I went through all of them and sort of thought well where does this fit and what do I want to do in the end dynamic running therapy actually apart from the sort of mindfulness moment in the beginning of it is really just classic psychotherapy just while on the move rather than and when I say classic I mean person-centered um, I know some people would say classic is more psychodynamic but no just this person-centered is about two people we're moving along um yeah, that's how I got I got here. Then I wrote a book, and then I got a got a uh, 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 an app that does it. And uh, yeah, it's my so life tell me, now. Does, So it's, it's really fascinating. So many things to talk about about that. But um, just to clarify, so is it something that somebody does on them, themselves? They chat to themselves, like an internal conversation, or is it like you run next to the person you're working with? How what's the how does it actually work? So if if it's me with one of my clients. Um, then obviously I'm with them every step of the way. That's one of the great advantages of it is that is a power dynamic is very different. They can see me making every effort they've made. They know I've had to come to the park too. They're not bringing their treasure to the king's throne where they put it before, you know, hoping that he'll honor their gift, you know, and that it won't get stuck behind the sofa somewhere. Uh, there's no question of your commitment and they can test that too you know they, they can test it by speeding up and, and so I always let them go a little bit of a head so that's what I do when it's me um, the book describes how you can do it for yourself and gives you a whole bunch of questions per condition anxiety depression anger various one so and, and has journal space so that you write in the journal you go on a journey of discovery of course it's not quite the same as having a psychotherapist with you but the questions are carefully thought through. They are what I think are the most permanent questions around depression, anxiety, and so forth. And then the app does the same thing. Fantastic. Yeah, so uh, those of you listening will heard a, a very interesting phrase, which is central to the lightning process, which we talked about before we start the cameras rolling. Uh, and in the lightning process, we teach people how to coach themselves. And one of the things that their internal coach says to them is, exactly that phrase i am with you every step of the way that's like that 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 sense of you're not alone in this that together we can in, in this case with the lightning press we're training them to take that role for themselves but having somebody else have that role is such a key thing and i think the the whole the, the interesting distinction you made between the position of you know facing each other across you know the the conflict zone of the therapy room or the more coaching position of sitting next or standing next or walking with someone and then taking that to another level of actually running with them it's, it's very interesting because of course sorts of stuff around you know the mirror neurons firing the oxytocin that when we join in a particular physical activity there is more oxytocin produced yep. than if we're just doing on it on our own uh, the synchronization that's going on very interesting stuff the synchronization is a big one and then you've got this sort of emdr piece where you know you can say that you're 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 taking the trauma that they're talking about and and slightly changing it you know so that now they mm -hmm. experience in a different way and and unlike somebody tapping on your knee the tap 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 as they run and my tap tap as i run with them um the, the difference is, is that they're going from A to B. And for, this is what I think is so fantastic about um, running therapy in general, is that 
typically when we when we see our clients, what we experience for most of them is a sense of stuckness. They're, they're, they're lost in some way. I can't get past this moment. I don't understand what this meant or what this means. I can't find what I need to do this. Uh, variations of that, but it's all to do with some kind of stuckness, which they've asked you to loosen up to help to get moving. Well, imagine that you're now able to talk about what it is you're stuck with, but you're doing it while on the move. You're going mm -hmm. from A to B each time. So at the end of it, if nothing else, you feel, well, you know what? I did at least run around a park for 120 meters today. And that, that does give me a sense of loosening this thing up. You know, I'm now the person who has, who has run into and with this thing. Mm. I, I remember I was doing a course once and I was stuck with something because that's obviously a classic thing that we have. And it was like this obstacle and they asked me to describe it. So it's like this monolithic block. I just can't get around it. And they said, uh, so what if you were to stand on top of it? And, th and they put a chair where it was. So it was very physicality based. And suddenly it was like on the top of it. it was like, Actually, I, I can see much further by being here. This is a really interesting version of this obstacle that I can, I can play with it in a different way. Mm. And I think also the other thing that was spun to my mind as you were talking about it was, is there also a factor of being in nature or at least being, being able to look further, you know, because that's, there's some interesting stuff about people's pupils dilate and, and, and constrict depending on whether you say oh, it feels very light in here, it's, well, it's a very dark issue, they'll have physiological changes. Yeah. Is, is looking to the distance having more sense of space an important part of this process is or would it be the same on a treadmill as you're running in a in a in a lab no, i think the green the green's all important gaia mother earth uh, you know she she's there for us we all know that feeling of having a bad weekend and you know you get up on a monday morning having been to some sort of anxious hell over the weekend and you go outside and you're almost sort of half amazed that the world still exists and you're so grateful to see trees and you're just like my god I had disappeared into my own head for 48 hours. Uh, and, and that kind of, that sense of dissociation, et cetera, that people feel various versions of when they're under pressure or depressed. Um, I think, uh, as you said, I think that, that nature is, is, a great, uh, is a great healer for that. It puts things in context. It gives you that distance that you've just talked about when you look across a park and you can see your last like oh my god the world is bigger than the end of my nose or the end of my mind you know the other thing i was thinking about as you're talking about and i was looking into this before we spoke was are there any parallels in in other heritages of this kind of idea of of particularly running or moving together i mean i was thinking about you know the whirling dervishes you know those sufi dancers who who spiral slightly different but they do it together but they're not going anywhere and the, the spiral is supposed to indicate the movement of the plants around the galaxy or in yoga obviously there is there's a certain amount of movement and yoga is primarily philosophical secondarily physical uh, and those of you who check out the interview with ed stern who talks about that um uh, what else do i think Osteopaths, of course, very interested in that. And the early NLP people were very interested. There was a, a brilliant woman called Judy Delosia who will be interviewing soon, um, who's now slightly north of 50, 
And she, what she, her, her, she was interested in change work, but her major was in dance. So she brought in this whole idea of movement and the importance of movement and somatic languages that we, we have all this communication that's nonverbal and mostly we, we, we don't know what to do with it. So yeah, did you kind of look into that? Are there any, you know, is there a heritage that you're tapping into? Uh, no, not specifically. I mean, I'm all, I've always been interested in, in, in these things. You know, I'm interested in, I'm interested in the stats that come out of joining a choir, you know, or doing charity work, you know, involving yourself in community, the things that really are healing, you know, we tell our clients that sit here, you know, and tell me about your problems for the next two years, you know, and half those sessions are going to be so painful for both of us, you know, <laughs> as you repeat yourself and you tell us how stuck you are and it's not easy, it's not easy work, you know. Um, I think half those people would be healed uh, a, a lot more effectively, a lot more quickly, a lot more cheaply just by joining a choir, going and doing some charity work. In Africa, they have all sorts of different ways they deal with depressed people, don't they, in the community. And I mean, they even, they even have weird things where they bury people alive, you know. And, and there are various things you can do. I don't think that, I think the move, movement, movement and, and, and involvement in in the world, you know, uh, something something uh, like uh, chipping away at a, at, a, at a wooden log, trying to make a boat. I think that's hugely therapeutic, <laughs> you know, um, hugely therapeutic. And when you find yourself getting up on a Tuesday morning and going, what's it all about in that existential space that so many of us are in now, disconnected from the world, disconnected from ourselves, living in this weird world where we're one part cyber and one part real and even the real part's not particularly real anymore um you know all we need is just a is is, is a little bit of whittling a little bit of something to involve ourselves in in the planet and and i think a lot of that a lot of that will disappear it's a bit of purpose right it's a little bit of learning it's a little bit of growth it's a little bit of direction the the horror comes from not of that Sartrean thing of, you know, it's too much choice. Which one shall I choose? And it's, and it's getting stuck in the impossibility, the belief that nothing that you choose. And, and knowing that you have actually an enormous amount of choice. You know, people didn't have that before. You, you, you know, 150 years ago, you were in a village somewhere. You're lucky if you got to London once in a lifetime. It's a big deal. Yeah, and you married the girl, you know, in the same village, let alone in the next village. Uh, today, you can date people online, somebody in Mogadishu, you can decide, oh, yeah, I'm going to retrain and move to New Zealand. Um, I'm going to spend the last, first 10 years of my life making trumpets and the next 10 years making boats. And after that, I'm going to be a teacher. You know, and you really can't do it all and have it all. But where shall I start? What shall I do? That's yeah, it. yeah, I would agree that people are massively overwhelmed. The choice is having more choice. It's not always make people happier. It can often make them just more confused and not quite sure what to do. And uh, and simplicity is something I think that is is yeah. missing. Yeah. And, uh, and there was something else you said that reminded me of. <laughs> I read something about when there was the you know the genocide in Rwanda. They sent out some some therapists to help them, and uh, the people said after a while they went. We, can't, we had to send the counselors and therapists back. So they were just making us unhappy. They didn't realise. In order to yeah. get rid of depression, you need to stand in the sun and dance and sing. They didn't understand that. <laughs> so we yeah. had, to, had to sack them. 
No, that's it's it's that that I was quoting. I think we heard it or read it in the same book, or I think it's that connections book uh, by what's his face. Um, uh, no, very much so. Uh, and and not only do you not only I mean it's in, it's insane, right? You take people who are feeling um, marginalized in their own lives, all the rest of it, and instead of opening up the world and taking them out into the sun, into a community a community coming together through dance, through tradition, through activity. You take them into a dark room and you tell them that this room will not change. The frame will not change. You don't tell them this, but this is what you offer them. Uh, a constant frame. It's going to be safe in here because I won't move a single picture. You can, you can feel safe in here. Well, you can feel so safe in there. It feels like another kind of prison and another kind of death, you know. And, and for those detractors of psychotherapy, they would say, well, all you're doing is re-traumatizing the person in there until they're so exhausted that the real, the real change comes from just, you know, being sick of paying you all this money and repeating themselves. And yes, it was good that you held their hand through that because they appreciated somebody being there for that process. But you didn't really heal them. What you did was join them on a journey that anybody could have joined them on. So, so right. coming coming back to this thing, because as we were talking about before we start recording, the isolation, what is what do you think is the effect of this bizarre world that we're in, half cyber, part real, part something, the, uh, the fracturing of our social connections that has been going on for at least the last eight months and who knows for how much longer. Are you seeing that or worrying about that? Well, I think we're going back to sort of, uh, what year is it? 1964, Marshall McLuhan's uh, statement, the medium is not the message. Um, he was the guy that, that, that was warning the world that uh, new technologies that were coming out were changing the way we experienced ourselves and others. And at that point, people were very freaked out about television. And and particularly what was on television. And they were all the purists saying, well, we can't have, you know, wild music and, and you know, simulated marriage and simulated this and that. And he said, look, you're getting it wrong. You know, it, the, the, the problem uh, is, is not the content. The problem is, is the machine itself. So I think what we've ended up with now in the digital age is something much worse than what he, and he kind of predicted the, the, uh, the digital age and the internet. Uh, all those years ago. I think what we've ended up with is a sort of binary. We've got the online offline world, which is binary. You've got the computers themselves, which are binary, ones and zeros. You've got the object subject divide. You've got um, an input output kind of way of thinking of the world. So now people, they know that the internet, they know that the digital world is very, very exact, up to an infinite number of spaces almost, you know, so that everything can be measured, everything, everything has an answer. There's a question, there's an answer, there's a process, so it's process thinking. And I think now that we are in this, we've become like machines, thinking like machines, expecting um, input so that, we, so that we can enjoy the output. And, and I think it's very bad for us. I think, that, I think all the joy of the world is we're in danger of losing, but I think the young, my sense is that there are a lot of young people today who are turning their back on this world and noticing how poisonous it is and saying, you know, I, I, want, 
I want joy in my life. I don't want social media. I, I want freedom. I don't want any of the kind of uh, restrictive thinking and practices that I've seen uh, go around the world in the last 20, 30 years. I, I just want to, you know, be an artisanal baker somewhere. Uh, in, and, and you know what? I think they're right because I think that's all there is. And I also think, you know, there's this American website, Etsy, where, you know, they specialize, you know, Etsy, they specialize in, they're like a, a mom and pop store. Whatever it is you, you make, you can sell through Etsy, even if it's tea towels. Um, I think in time, what we're going to do, what, what we're going to end up with is a return to the sort of arts and crafts movement of, of sort of 1910, where people celebrate what is homemade, what is made by the neighbor, what is honestly made, what has a footprint that you that, that you can understand and, and, and track. And so I think we'll all end up being artisanal bakers in the end. And I can't <laughs> wait for it to be honest because <laughs> all this thinking, all the thinking, the watching, the analyzing. I mean, how much thinking do we do? And just to quickly finish your question, imagine how overstimulated we are. I mean, you're the scientist here. You know this better than I do. But we're super stimulated. It's not just the amount of content and the quality of content, the colors, the noises, etc. It's, as you know, the algorithms that have, that have now been around for years to perfect just exactly how to connect with, as Marshall McLuhan said, with your nervous system and make sure that you're getting exactly the right reward systems in your head to just completely transfix you. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's a disaster. Well, that, that, uh, you've probably seen that uh, program. What's it called? Social Dynamics, is it called? Social, yeah? I haven't seen it. Because uh, well, I, very interesting. I know what it is. Yeah, mostly what you said. And one of the fa most fascinating things about it was exactly how much money they've been pouring into exactly that statement. How can we trigger the, the reward circuits of the brain? Because we want to keep people's attention because then well, we can a, sell. Yeah, but you know what I don't like about that documentary? Uh, I haven't actually watched it, but I've watched the trailer for it. I've read, I've read around it. I've watched and I've heard what, uh, how the industry has come back and defended itself. And I think a little bit like, uh, I don't think it serves anybody to get into this paranoid state where you start to believe that Mark Zuckerberg's in a dark room with five other guys who are you know, controlling the world like this, and you're the sucker. There, isn't, there are no five guys in the room anywhere. Zuckerberg doesn't want your soul. He doesn't want to destroy you. Uh, he, <laughs> I mean, people believe this stuff. And Social Dilemma has done a great job of making them even more paranoid. He's <laughs> selling a business. So, of course, he wants to make the best business he can. His business model is grabbing your time. So he puts all his research into how to grab your time. It's no different. I mean... A car company could do it. TV companies could do it. He's just got it all. You know, it's a little easier when it's on a, on an app. So, One of the interesting know, things on on the program was how pretty much, and they may have edited it heavily, but pretty much all the people said, oh, "I don't let my kids anywhere near that stuff." You know, there's yeah. no screens in the bedroom or in the house, or until they're nine or twelve or something. It's like, oh, that's interesting. So, you not happened to my kids. Um, but yeah, I can see that. And I also think the digital thing you're talking about, which brings us back into the nat nature, because nature is really non-digital. It's very analog, isn't it? Things just do what they do. There's not just one green, there's a million greens of varying shades and hues. And the trees themselves, I'm looking at my trees at the moment, change 
you know, every day is slightly different color, growing, moving in intriguing ways that are unpredictable. And I wonder if that comes back to this whole thing about, you know, the, the running, being out in nature, the importance of just having that different input, that slightly unpredictable, uh, and yet, and yet there is a kind of predictability. There is a series of cycles. They just are on a much longer time frame than our instant hit, the impulsivity triggering impulses that we experience. Well, so, and, and as you know, it's, you know, it's five million years worth of DNA trained body that you're in there. And it's, and it's, uh, it's supposed to and does respond to uh, the various chemicals that come off the trees and the plants and, and all the rest of it. That's what it responds to. It doesn't want to respond to a living in a concrete box with a plastic carpet throwing off plastic fumes at you. The body doesn't go, oh, God, you know, that's really nice. That reminds me of when I was up in the trees 400,000 years ago. <laughs> it, it, it looks at it, it smells it, and it goes, what the hell is going on here? You know. Yeah, one of the things that is my pet pet hate actually is um, those aromas that people put in their house that are supposed to smell like nature, and they don't. They smell like chemicals pretending to smell like nature, and I think that that, that environmental pollution is a massive problem, and it's going to be another thing that we go, oh, why did we do that all those years ago? We're breathing in these strange things. So, what do, what do you think? Opening the window. What do you think the answer is? Well, it's it's interesting because this, I think, in this moment, this COVID moment, there, there is we are seeing a bit of the future, a bit of the technological future, like in all those sci-fi movies when there was a, a wall that you know transformed into your news screen when you saw the world and talked to your your friends. So we're seeing some of that, but as you say, we also see people kind of going, well, looks like we're probably not going to fly as much. We're not going to travel as much. We're going to have to build our community where we are. Maybe the things we thought were important, maybe not as important. Maybe that commute, those two hours or three hours a day, I'm not going to do anymore. I could sit and work more, or I could go and take a dog for a walk, or you know, have a longer lunch. Or so I don't know. It could go either way. It really could, but it's an opportunity. I think. I think that a lot of people have pointed at this that the COVID is has been pressing a pause button on what we did normally. And getting us to look at, well, what is important? Where should I put, be putting my money and my time? That's what we used to do. Is this, this where we're going? This, what do I want to do? I think. Yeah, I mean, what worries me about the whole working from home thing is, is the mental health aspects to that. Not everybody uh, can afford to live in a house that is well suited for working. Some people live with their parents way into their 30s and 40s. Some people live with a wife and kids. Some people don't even have a table. Um, and even the ones that are alone, uh, you know, for them, both in terms of physical and mental health, going to the office every day is, you know, the biggest part of the day. It's communing with your with your peer group and the laughs that you have at the, at the water tank. To now say to those people, listen, I want you to be at home all day long, you know, just eat cookies and I'll pay you a little bit less because you're not going to have to come in. And then ultimately, when I've worked this out, I'm going to outsource your job to China anyway, <laughs> because it's clear I don't actually need you. You know, I just need somebody like you. So I, 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 I worry about it very much. I don't know where people are getting, if we're already struggling to find community, if we've always already a breakdown in trust with our neighbors, uh, a, a belief, an openness, a, 
a, a Buber-esque type, type of, um, if the I thou has disappeared uh, in favor of the I it, then I think uh, this is going to be a disaster. I think there's a lot of mental health issues on the way. So speaking of disasters and mental health issues, what is your prediction for the American election? Well, I, I mean, I know the numbers like you do. I know that it's, it's supposed to be uh, supposed to be Biden by 16, 18 points right now, isn't it, at this point? Um, I don't know. I, you, you have to follow with, 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 with a poll with that kind of margin. You have to believe that, that ultimately he'll win. So if we were to, doing odds, if you gave me better than five to one, I might put some money on Trump, but I, I think he's definitely the underdog right now. I don't think it's impossible. And of mm. course, in America, it's all about those key states. So you never mm. know. You never know. You never know. He might turn it around on the night. And we haven't got to the end of the Biden story yet, have we? You know, yeah, it's still, still unfolding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and my guess is, is that we won't get to the bottom of it. I don't think that the FBI won't dig in fast enough. They don't really want to. I think, as you've seen with Facebook and Twitter, they have no appetite for advancing the story. And, uh, and most of all, the Biden camp is very clever. Uh, they're not rising to the bait. I mean, this thing is like a, you know, a gorilla in the room. And they're just like, he's like, nope, my son's a good boy. And that's the end of the chat. They're not getting into a kind of, they're not rising to the, to the bait. And I think as long as they don't do that, I, don't, I think Trump just starts to look more and more crazy as he, you know, throws more and more mud at the wall to see what will stick. It's, I've been watching quite a few programs about it recently. And one of the things that shows up for me is the different, completely different worlds that different Americans live in. You know, the different versions of what they see occurring and the, the, the huge divisions in America. I think that's what's really showing up at the moment. Like oh, yeah. the people who absolutely adore Trump and you know brings a tear to their eye every time they think about him, and the people who absolutely despise him. And yeah, it'd be interesting to see. But I think we so. should make. I think we should make no mistake that I think Trump is probably right. You know, I think Hunter is dirty. I think there's a long tradition. Uh, we saw it with Mark Thatcher in this country. His mother. I mean, he got millions as, as the bag man for his mother in, 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 in uh, defense deals in, in, in the Middle East. I mean, that's well, everybody knows that. Nobody questions it. Um, and if you look back in American politics, you'll find the same thing with all the brothers and relatives and sons of presidents. They send out the, they send out the, the, the family members to collect the cash. And then at the end of it, and, and that's well catalogued. So I see no reason to believe that Hunter wasn't in on that. Whether his father was Mr. Big and got the 10 million now or then or whatever, I don't know. Uh, but if he did, he's just another dirty politician. And what we don't appreciate in the UK and, pe and perhaps in New Zealand uh, is that kind of pioneer cowboy spirit the Americans still have. They don't care, a lot of Americans, apart from the so-called city elite and, and the Democrats, they don't care that their politician uh, is slightly dodgy. They expect politicians to be dodgy. They know that you don't get to the top without being dodgy. Um, they know that that's unfortunately the hustle that you need because everybody's trying to get up there. What they want to know is, can this guy be a good president for them? Can, they, can this guy 
not does he sleep with the interns, has he fiddled his taxes, that's okay. They're like, well, I would do the same thing. <laughs> they, they totally understand that. The real question is, can you defend our country from foreign invaders? You know, and can you run the economy decently so I can put my kid through college? That's what they care about. So that's why I think Trump still has a good shot. Well, it will be interesting to see. I don't know when this podcast will go out. We can always re-edit it as you can put your money on the right one. It'll be fine. Um, and we've, we're kind of running out. We're actually over them. But I just want to ask you a few questions before we, before we end, just to kind of uh, close. Um, for you, well, you know, this interesting journey you've been on. What did you do before you were a therapist, actually? Don't know. Oh, what was all your... sorts. All sorts. I mean, the very last thing I did was work in television. Uh, oh. coming up with ideas for TV shows. Okay. So lots of stuff has changed for you. What would you say is the most important thing you've learned in this journey for you? Uh, well, I think it's sort of tenderness, a, tenden a tenderness of thinking, a tenderness of, of how I approach myself and others. I still fight the Trumpian master the uh, uber uber man inside of me the the uh the will to power i still have that put in there by my father by my schooling he still tells me that you know success is everything weakness is is a disgrace i still fight that every day but it's not as bad as it was and i can laugh at it a little bit and i can give it some distance and i can breathe and i've learned some skills as a therapist and, and sitting here listening and watching other people go through their struggles, uh, it allows me to, you know, just experience a little bit more compassion for myself. And another thing I think would be useful to, sh to think on and share is if you were to teach someone an exercise or a practice of all the things you've learned, whether it's your running practice or your tenderness or whatever, what would be the thing you would, a simple tip you would say, this is this, if you got a few minutes, this is something worth doing. Uh, okay, good question. Well, I would say this, if you are stuck, wherever you are, you're stuck with whatever, a feeling, a circumstance in your life, you can't shift a job you don't like, a relationship, just make some changes, make, get moving, change something, and it doesn't have to be the thing. It could be another thing because sometimes when we choose one thing, it loosens up the system and then other things start to cascade and move with it. We just need to get into a moving place. So it could be that you just need to move your mind, your body, in which case take a single step. If you think you can't run, go and walk. If you think you can't walk, walk slowly. You know, Get out there and build up a practice and breathe and loosen up and experiment with things and sooner or later something will change but it won't change if you just keep on doing the same thing brilliant well i think that's a good place to end that's a really really lovely uh uh position to kind of come from that you know do something different and and don't and don't necessarily focus on the thing that is the thing it could be doing something else that is the thing that loosens that thing Absolutely. and it could be something <laughs> left field like just walking or running and it doesn't have to be the you know dealing with the big kuna to start with the main thing is to make the main thing the main thing that's an american <laughs> saying but actually we're saying the opposite we're saying the main thing is to make a different thing the main thing so that another thing can so the main thing can be changed by something other so not by another thing 
Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. We're really interesting to chat with you, and I, I think people will find it really interesting and useful. So take care of yourself. Cheers. Thank you. The Mind Body Connection Podcast. The Body and Mind.